Victorian Short Stories Stories of Courtship by Hubert Crackenthorpe and others. The Parson's Daughter of Oxney Colne by Anthony Trollope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Parson's Daughter of Oxney Colne. Part Two. She would not pretend to herself that she thought he would come to her that afternoon, and therefore she busied herself in the kitchen and about the house, giving directions to her two maids, as though the day would pass as all other days did pass in that household. They usually dined at four, and she rarely, in these summer months, went far from the house before that hour. At four precisely she sat down with her father, and then said that she was going up as far as Helpholm, after dinner help home was a solitary farmhouse in another parish on the border of the moor and mr woolsey asked her whether he should accompany her do papa she said if you are not too tired and yet she had thought how probable it might be that she should meet john broughton on her walk and so it was arranged but just as dinner was over mr woolsey remembered himself gracious me he said how my memory is going gribbles from ivybridge and old john poulter from bovey are coming to meet here by appointment you can't put help home off till to-morrow patience however never put off anything and therefore at six o'clock when her father had finished his slender modicum of toddy she tied on her hat and went on her walk she started forth with a quick step and left no word to say by which route she would go. As she passed up along the little lane which led towards Oxney Colne, she would not even look to see if he was coming towards her, and when she left the road, passing over a stone stile into a little path which ran first through the upland fields, and then across the moor-ground towards Helpholm, she did not look back once or listen for his coming step she paid her visit remaining upwards of an hour with the old bedridden mother of the farmer of Helpholme. god bless you my darling said the old lady as she left her and send you someone to make your own path bright and happy through the world these words were still ringing in her ears with all their significance as she saw john broughton waiting for her at the first stile which she had to pass after leaving the farmer's hackard patty he said as he took her hand and held it close within both his own what a chase i have had after you and who asked you captain broughton she asked smiling if the journey was too much for your poor london strength could you not have waited till to-morrow morning when you would have found me at the parsonage but she did not draw her hand away from him or in any way pretend that he had not a right to accost her as a lover no i could not wait i am more eager to see those i love than you seem to be how do you know whom i love or how eager i might be to see them there is an old woman there whom i love and i have thought nothing of this walk with the object of seeing her and now slowly drawing her hand away from him she pointed to the farmhouse which she had left patty he said after a minute's pause during which she had looked full into his face with all the force of her bright eyes 
I have come from London today, straight down here to Oxney, and from my aunt's house close upon your footsteps, after you, to ask you that one question. Do you love me? What a Hercules, she said, again laughing. Do you really mean that you left London only this morning? Why, you must have been five hours in a railway carriage and two in a post-chaise, not to talk of the walk afterwards. You ought to take more care of yourself, Captain Broughton. He would have been angry with her, for he did not like to be quizzed. Had she not put her hand on his arm as she spoke, and the softness of her touch had redeemed the offence of her words. "'All that I have done,' said he, "'that I may hear one word from you.' "'That any word of mine should have such potency. "'But let us walk on, or my father will take us "'for some of the standing stones of the moor. "'How have you found your aunt? "'If you only knew the cares that have sat on her dear shoulders "'for the last week past, "'in order that your high mightiness might have a sufficiency to eat and drink "'in these desolate half-starved regions.' she might have saved herself such anxiety no one can care less for such things than i do and yet i think i have heard you boast of the cook of your club and then again there was a silence for a minute or two patty said he stopping again in the path answer my question i have a right to demand an answer do you love me and what if i do what if i have been so silly as to allow your perfections to be too many for my weak heart what then captain broughton it cannot be that you love me or you would not joke now perhaps not indeed she said it seemed as though she were resolved not to yield an inch in her own humour and then again they walked on patty he said once more i shall get an answer from you to-night this evening now during this walk or i shall return to-morrow and never revisit this spot again oh captain broughton how should we ever manage to live without you very well he said up to the end of this walk i can bear it all and one word spoken then will mend it all during the whole of this time she felt that she was ill-using him she knew that she loved him with all her heart that it would nearly kill her to part with him that she had heard his renewed offer with an ecstasy of joy she acknowledged to herself that he was giving proof of his devotion as strong as any which a girl could receive from her lover and yet she could hardly bring herself to say the word he longed to hear that word once said and then she knew that she must succumb to her love for ever that word once said and there would be nothing for her but to spoil him with her idolatry that word once said and she must continue to repeat it into his ears till perhaps he might be tired of hearing it and now he had threatened her and how could she speak it after that she certainly would not speak it unless he asked her again without such threat and so they walked on again in silence patty he said at last by the heavens above you shall answer me do you love me she now stood still and almost trembled as she looked up into his face she stood opposite to him for a moment and then placing her two hands on his shoulders she answered him i do i do i do she said with all my heart with all my heart with all my heart and strength and then her head fell upon his breast 
Captain Broughton was almost as much surprised as delighted by the warmth of the acknowledgment made by the eager-hearted, passionate girl whom he now held within his arms. She had said it now. The words had been spoken, and there was nothing for her but to swear to him over and over again with her sweetest oaths that those words were true, true as her soul. And very sweet was the walk down from thence to the parsonage gate. He spoke no more of the distance of the ground, or the length of his day's journey, but he stopped her at every turn, that he might press her arm the closer to his own, that he might look into the brightness of her eyes, and prolong his hour of delight. There were no more jibes now on her tongue, no raillery at his London finery, no laughing comments on his coming and going. With downright honesty she told him everything, how she had loved him before her own heart was warranted in such a passion, how, with much thinking, she had resolved that it would be unwise to take him at his first word, and had thought it better that he should return to London, and then think it over, how she had almost repented of her courage when she had feared, during those long summer days, that he would forget her, and how her heart had leapt for joy when her old friend had told her that he was coming and yet said he you were not glad to see me oh was i not glad you cannot understand the feelings of a girl who has lived secluded as i have done glad is no word for the joy i felt but it was not seeing you that i cared for so much it was the knowledge that you were near me once again i almost wished now that i had not seen you till to-morrow but as she spoke she pressed his arm and this caress gave the lie to her last words no do not come in to-night she said when she reached the little wicket that led up to the parsonage indeed you shall not i could not behave myself properly if you did but i don't want you to behave properly oh i am to keep that for london am i but nevertheless captain broughton i will not invite you either to tea or to supper to-night surely i may shake hands with your father not to-night not till john i may tell him may i not i must tell him at once certainly said he and then you shall see him to-morrow let me see at what hour shall i bid you come to breakfast no indeed what on earth would your aunt do with her broiled turkey and the cold pie i have got no cold pie for you i hate cold pie what a pity but john i should be forced to leave you directly after breakfast come down come down at two or three and then i will go back with you to aunt penelope i must see her to-morrow and so at last the matter was settled and the happy captain as he left her was hardly resisted in his attempt to press her lips to his own when she entered the parlour in which her father was sitting there still with gribbles and poulter discussing some knotty point of devon law so patience took off her hat and sat herself down waiting till they should go for full an hour she had to wait, and then Gribbles and Poulter did go, but it was not in such matters as this that Patience Woolothy was impatient. She could wait and wait and wait, curbing herself for weeks and months while the thing waited for was in her eyes good, but she could not curb her hot thoughts or her hot words when things came to be discussed which she did not think to be good papa she said when gribbles's long-drawn last word had been spoken at the door 
do you remember how i asked you the other day what you would say if i were to leave you yes surely he replied looking up at her in astonishment i am going to leave you now she said dear dearest father how am i to go from you going to leave me said he thinking of her visit to help home and thinking of nothing else now there had been a story about help home that bedridden old lady there had a stalwart son who was now the owner of the help home pastures but though owner in fee of all those wild acres and of the cattle which they supported he was not much above the farmers around him either in manners or education he had his merits however for he was honest well-to-do in the world and modest withal how strong love had grown up springing from neighbourly kindness between our patients and his mother it needs not here to tell but rising from it had come another love or an ambition which might have grown to love the young man after much thought had not dared to speak to miss woolsey but had sent a message by miss lesmerger if there could be any hope for him he would present himself as a suitor on trial he did not owe a shilling in the world and had money by him saved he wouldn't ask the parson for a shilling of fortune such had been the tenor of his message and miss lesmerger had delivered it faithfully he does not mean it patience had said with her stern voice indeed he does my dear you may be sure he is in earnest miss lesmerger had replied and there is not an honester man in these parts tell him said patience not attending to the latter portion of her friend's last speech that it cannot be make him understand you know and tell him also that the matter shall be thought of no more the matter had at any rate been spoken of no more but the young farmer still remained a bachelor and help home still wanted a mistress but all this came back upon the parson's mind when his daughter told him that she was about to leave him yes dearest she said and as she spoke she now knelt at his knees i have been asked in marriage and i have given myself away well my love if you will be happy i hope i shall i think i shall but you papa you will not be far from us oh yes in london in london captain broughton lives in london generally and has captain broughton asked you to marry him yes papa who else is he not good will you not love him oh papa do not say that i am wrong to love him he never told her his mistake or explained to her that he had not thought it possible that the high-placed son of the london great man shall have fallen in love with his undowered daughter but he embraced her and told her with all his enthusiasm that he rejoiced in her joy and would be happy in her happiness my own patty he said i have ever owned that you were too good for this life of ours here and then the evening wore away into the night with many tears but still with much happiness captain broughton as he walked back to oxney colne made up his mind that he would say nothing on the matter to his aunt till the next morning he wanted to think over it all and to think it over if possible by himself he had taken a step in life the most important that a man is ever called on to take 
and he had to reflect whether or no he had taken it with wisdom. "'Have you seen her?' said Miss Lesmerger, very anxiously, when he came into the drawing-room. "'Miss Woolovy, you mean,' said he. "'Yes, I've seen her. As I found her out, I took a long walk and happened to meet her. "'Do you know, aunt, I think I'll go to bed. I was up at five this morning, and have been on the move ever since.' Miss Lesmerger perceived that she was to hear nothing that evening, so she handed him his candlestick and allowed him to go to his room. But Captain Broughton did not immediately retire to bed, nor, when he did so, was he able to sleep at once. Had this step that he had taken been a wise one? He was not a man who, in worldly matters, had allowed things to arrange themselves for him, as in the case with so many men. He had formed views for himself, and had a theory of life. Money, for money's sake, he had declared to himself to be bad. Money, as a concomitant to things which were in themselves good, he had declared to himself to be good also. That concomitant in his affair of his marriage he had now missed. Well, he had made up his mind to that, and would put up with the loss. He had means of living of his own though means not so extensive as might have been desirable. That it would be well for him to become a married man, looking merely to that state of life as opposed to his present state, he had fully resolved. On that point, therefore, there was nothing to repent. That Patty Woolothy was good, affectionate, clever, and beautiful, he was sufficiently satisfied. It would be odd indeed, if he were not so satisfied now, seeing that for the last four months he had declared to himself daily that she was so, with many inward asseverations. And yet, though he repeated now again that he was satisfied, I do not think that he was so fully satisfied of it as he had been throughout the whole of those four months. It is sad to say so, but I fear, I fear that such was the case. When you have your plaything, how much of the anticipated pleasure vanishes, especially if it have been won easily. He had told none of his family what were his intentions in this second visit to Devonshire, and now he had to bethink himself whether they would be satisfied. What would his sister say, she who had married the Honourable Augustus Gumbleton, gold-stick-in-waiting to Her Majesty's Privy Council? Would she receive patience with open arms, and make much of her about London? And then how far would London suit patience, or would patience suit London? There would be much for him to do in teaching her, and it would be well for him to set about the lesson without loss of time. So far he got that night, but when the morning came he went a step further, and began mentally to criticise her manner to himself. It had been very sweet, that warm, that full, that ready declaration of love. Yes, it had been very sweet. But, but... When, after her little jokes, she did confess her love, had she not been a little too free for feminine excellence? A man likes to be told that he is loved, but he hardly wishes that the girl he is to marry should fling herself at his head ah me yes it was thus he argued to himself as on that morning he went through the arrangements of his toilet then he was a brute you say my pretty reader i have never said that he was not a brute but this i remark 
that many such brutes are to be met with in the beaten paths of the world's high highway when patience woolothy had answered him coldly bidding him go back to london and think over his love while it seemed from her manner that at any rate as yet she did not care for him while he was absent from her and therefore longing for her the possession of her charms her talent and bright honesty of purpose had seemed to him a thing most desirable now they were his own they had in fact been his own from the first the heart of this country-bred girl had fallen at the first word from his mouth had she not confessed to him she was very nice very nice indeed he loved her dearly but had he not sold himself too cheaply i by no means say that he was not a brute but whether brute or no he was an honest man and had no remotest dream either then on that morning or during the following days on which such thoughts pressed more thickly on his mind of breaking away from his pledged word at breakfast on that morning he told all to miss lesmerger and that lady with warm and gracious intentions confided to him her purpose regarding her property i have always regarded patience as my heir she said and shall do so still oh indeed said captain broughton but it is a great great pleasure to me to think that she will give back the little property to my sister's child you will have your mother's and thus it will all come together again ah said captain broughton he had his own ideas about property and did not even under existing circumstances like to hear that his aunt considered herself at liberty to leave the acres away to one who was by blood quite a stranger to the family does patience know of this he asked not a word said miss lesmerger and then nothing more was said upon the subject on that afternoon he went down and received the parson's benediction and congratulations with good grace patience said very little on the occasion and indeed was absent during the greater part of the interview the two lovers then walked up to oxney colne and there were more benedictions and more congratulations all went merry as a marriage bell at any rate as far as patience was concerned not a word had yet fallen from that dear mouth not a look had yet come over that handsome face which tended in any way to mar her bliss her first day of acknowledged love was a day altogether happy and when she prayed for him as she knelt beside her bed there was no feeling in her mind that any fear need disturb her joy i will pass over the next three or four days very quickly merely saying that patience did not find them so pleasant as that first day of her engagement there was something in her lover's manner something which at first she could not define which by degrees seemed to grate against her feelings he was sufficiently affectionate that being a matter on which she did not require much demonstration but joined to his affection there seemed to be she hardly liked to suggest to herself a harsh word but could it be possible that he was beginning to think that she was not good enough for him and then she asked herself the question was she good enough for him if there were any doubt about that the match should be broken off though she tore her own heart out in the struggle the truth however was this that he had begun that teaching which he had already found to be so necessary now had any one essayed 
to teach patience german or mathematics with that young lady's free consent i believe she would have been found a meek scholar but it was not probable that she would be meek when she found a self-appointed tutor teaching her manners and conduct without her consent so matters went on for four or five days and on the evening of the fifth day captain broughton and his aunt drank tea at the parsonage nothing very especial occurred but as the parson and miss lesmerger insisted on playing backgammon with devoted perseverance during the whole evening broughton had a good opportunity of saying a word or two about those changes in his lady-love which a life in london would require and some word he said also some single slight word as to the higher station in life to which he would exalt his bride patience bore it for her father and miss lesmerger were in the room she bore it well speaking no syllable of anger and enduring for the moment the implied scorn of the old parsonage then the evening broke up and captain broughton walked back to oxney colne with his aunt patty her father said to her before they went to bed he seems to me to be a most excellent young man dear papa she answered kissing him and terribly deep in love said mr woolathy oh i don't know about that she answered as she left him with her sweetest smile but though she could thus smile at her father's joke she had already made up her mind that there was still something to be learned as to her promised husband before she could place herself altogether in his hands she would ask him whether he thought himself liable to injury from this proposed marriage and though he should deny any such thought she would know from the manner of his denial what his true feelings were and he too on that night during his silent walk with miss lesmerger had entertained some similar thoughts i fear she is obstinate he had said to himself and then he had half accused her of being sullen also if that be her temper what a life of misery i have before me have you fixed the date yet his aunt asked him as they came near to the house no not yet i don't know whether it will suit me to fix it before i leave why it was but the other day you were in such a hurry ah uh, yes i have thought more about it since then i should have imagined that this would depend on what patty thinks said miss lesmerger standing up for the privileges of her sex it is presumed that the gentleman is always ready as soon as the lady will consent yes in ordinary cases it is so but when a girl is taken out of her own sphere her own sphere let me caution you master john not to talk to patty about her own sphere aunt penelope as patience is to be my wife and not yours i must claim permission to speak to her on such subjects as may seem suitable to me and then they parted not in the best humour with each other on the following day captain broughton and miss woolathy did not meet till the evening she had said before those few ill-omened words had passed her lover's lips that she would probably be at miss lesmerger's house on the following morning those ill-omened words did pass her lover's lips and then she remained at home this did not come from sullenness nor even from anger but from a conviction that it would be well that she should think much before she met him again nor was he anxious to hurry a meeting his thought his base thought was this 
that she would be sure to come up to the colne after him but she did not come and therefore in the evening he went down to her and asked her to walk with him they went away by the path that led by help home and little was said between them till they had walked some mile together patience as they went along the path remembered almost to the letter the sweet words which had greeted her ears as she came down that way with him on the night of his arrival but he remembered nothing of that sweetness then had he not made an ass of himself during these last six months that was the thought which very much had possession of his mind patience he said at last having hitherto spoken only an indifferent word now and again since they had left the parsonage patience i hope you realize the importance of the step which you and i are about to take of course i do she answered what an odd question that is for you to ask because he said sometimes i almost doubt it it seems to me as though you thought you could remove yourself from here to your new home with no more trouble than when you go from home to the colne is that meant for a reproach jock no not for a reproach but for advice certainly not for a reproach i am glad of that but i should wish to make you think how great is the leap in the world which you are about to take then again they walked on for many steps before she answered him tell me then john she said when she had sufficiently considered what words she would speak and as she spoke a dark bright colour suffused her face and her eyes flashed almost with anger what leap do you mean do you mean a leap upwards well yes i hope it will be so in one sense certainly it would be a leap upwards to be the wife of the man i loved to have the privilege of holding his happiness in my hand to know that i was his own the companion whom he had chosen out of all the world that would indeed be a leap upward a leap almost to heaven if all that were so but if you mean upwards in any other sense i was thinking of the social scale then captain broughton your thoughts were doing me a dishonour doing you dishonour yes doing me dishonour that your father is in the world's esteem a greater man than mine is doubtless true enough that you as a man are richer than i am as a woman is doubtless also true but you dishonour me and yourself also if these things can weigh with you now patience i think you can hardly know what words you are saying to me pardon me but i think i do nothing that you can give me no gifts of that description can weigh aught against that which i am giving you if you had all the wealth and rank of the greatest lord in the land it would count as nothing in such a scale if as i have not doubted if in return for my heart you have given me yours then 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 you have paid me fully but when gifts such as those are going nothing else can count even as a make-weight i do not quite understand you he answered after a pause i fear you are a little high-flown and then while the evening was still early they walked back to the parsonage almost without another word captain broughton at this time had only one more full day to remain at oxney colne on the afternoon following that he was going as far as exeter and thence returned to london of course it was to be expected that the wedding-day would be fixed before he went 
and much had been said about it during the first day or two of his engagement then he had pressed for an early time and patience with a girl's usual diffidence had asked for some little delay but now nothing was said on the subject and how was it probable that such a matter could be settled after such a conversation as that which i have related that evening mr smerger asked whether the day had been fixed no said captain broughton harshly nothing has been fixed but it will be arranged before you go probably not he said and then the subject was dropped for the time john she said just before she went to bed if there be anything wrong between you and patience i conjure you to tell me you had better ask her he replied i can tell you nothing on the following morning he was much surprised by seeing patience on the gravel path before miss lesmerger's gate immediately after breakfast he went to the door to open it for her and she as she gave him her hand told him that she came up to speak to him there was no hesitation in her manner nor any look of anger in her face but there was in her gait and form in her voice and countenance a fixedness of purpose which he had never seen before or at any rate had never acknowledged certainly said he shall i come out with you or will you come upstairs we can sit down in the summer-house she said and thither they both went captain broughton she said and she began her task the moment that they were both seated you and i have engaged ourselves as man and wife but perhaps we have been over rash how so said he it may be and indeed i will say more it is the case that we have made this engagement without knowing enough of each other's character i have not thought so the time will perhaps come when you will so think but for the sake of all that we most value let it come before it is too late what would be our fate how terrible would be our misery if such a thought should come to either of us after we have linked our lots together there was a solemnity about her as she thus spoke which almost repressed him which for a time did prevent him from taking that tone of authority which on such a subject he would choose to adopt but he recovered himself i hardly think this comes well from you he said from whom else should it come who else can fight my battle for me and john who else can fight that same battle on your behalf i tell you this that with your mind standing towards me as it does stand at present you could not give me your hand at the altar with true words and a happy conscience is it not true you have half repented of your bargain already is it not so he did not answer her but getting up from his seat walked to the front of the summer-house and stood there with his back turned upon her it was not that he meant to be ungracious but in truth he did not know how to answer her he had half repented of his bargain john she said getting up and following him so that she could put her hand upon his arm i have been very angry with you angry with me he said turning sharp upon her yes angry with you you would have treated me like a child but that feeling has gone now i am not angry now there is my hand the hand of a friend let the words that have been spoken between us be as though they had not been spoken let us both be free do you mean it he asked certainly i mean it as she spoke these words her eyes were filled with tears in spite of all the efforts she could make to restrain them but he was not looking at her 
and her efforts had sufficed to prevent any sob from being audible. "'With all my heart,' he said, and it was manifest from his tone that he had no thought of her happiness as he spoke. It was true that she had been angry with him, angry as she had herself declared, but nevertheless, in what she had said and what she had done, she had thought more of his happiness than of her own. Now she was angry once again. "'With all your heart, Captain Broughton, well, so be it. If with all your heart, then is the necessity so much the greater.' "'You go to-morrow. Shall we say farewell now?' "'Patience, I am not going to be lectured.' "'Certainly not by me. Shall we say farewell now?' "'Yes, if you are determined.' "'I am determined. Farewell, Captain Broughton. You have all my wishes for your happiness.' And she held out her hand to him. "'Patience!' he said, and he looked at her with a dark frown, as though he would strive to frighten her into submission. If so, he might have saved himself any such attempt. Farewell, Captain Broughton. Give me your hand, for I cannot stay. He gave her his hand, hardly knowing why he did so. She lifted it to her lips and kissed it, and then, leaving him, passed from the summer-house down through the wicket-gate and straight home to the parsonage. During the whole of that day she said no word to any one of what had occurred. When she was once more at home, she went about her household affairs, as she had done on that day of his arrival. When she sat down to dinner with her father, he observed nothing to make him think that she was unhappy, nor during the evening was there any expression in her face, or any tone in her voice, which excited his attention. On the following morning, Captain Broughton called at the parsonage, and the servant-girl brought word to her mistress that he was in the parlour. But she would not see him. "'Laws, miss, you ain't a-quarrelled with your beau,' the poor girl said. "'No, not quarrelled,' she said, "'but give him that.' It was a scrap of paper containing a word or two in pencil. "'It is better that we should not meet again. God bless you.' And from that day to this, now more than ten years, they have never met. "'Papa,' she said to her father that afternoon, "'dear papa, do not be angry with me. "'It is all over between me and John Broughton.' "'Dearest, you and I will not be separated.' "'It would be useless here to tell how great was the old man's surprise, "'and how true his sorrow. "'As the tale was told to him, no cause was given for anger with any one. "'Not a word was spoken against the suitor who had on that day "'returned to London with a full conviction "'that now at least he was relieved from his engagement.' "'Patty, my darling child,' he said, "'may God grant that it be for the best.' "'It is for the best,' she answered stoutly. "'For this place I am fit, "'and I much doubt whether I am fit for any other.' "'On that day she did not see Miss Le Smyrger, "'but on the following morning, "'knowing that Captain Broughton had gone off, "'having heard the wheels of the carriage "'as they passed by the parsonage gate "'on his way to the station, "'she walked up to the colne. "'He has told you, I suppose,' said she. "'Yes,' said Miss Le Smyrger, "'and I will never see him again unless he asks your pardon on his knees. "'I have told him so. "'I would not even give him my hand as he went.' "'But why so, thou kindest one? "'The fault was mine more than his.' "'I understand. "'I have eyes in my head,' said the old maid. "'I have watched him for the last four or five days.' "'If you could have kept the truth to yourself and bade him keep off from you, "'he would have been at your feet now, licking the dust from your shoes. 
but dear friend i do not want a man to lick dust from my shoes ah you are a fool you do not know the value of your own wealth true i have been a fool i was a fool to think that one coming from such a life as he has led could be happy with such as i am i know the truth now i have bought the lesson dearly but perhaps not too dearly seeing that it will never be forgotten there was but little more said about the matter between our three friends at oxney cole what indeed could be said miss le smyrger for a year or two still expected that her nephew would return and claim his bride but he has never done so nor has there been any correspondence between them patience woolothy had learned her lesson dearly she had given her whole heart to the man and though she so bore herself that no one was aware of the violence of her struggle nevertheless the struggle within her bosom was very violent she never told herself that she had done wrong she never regretted her loss but yet yet the loss was very hard to bear he also had loved her but he was not capable of a love which could much injure his daily peace her daily peace was gone for many a day to come her father is still living but there is a curate now in the parish in conjunction with him and with miss le smyrger she spends her time in the concerns of the parish in her own eyes she is a confirmed old maid and such is my opinion also the romance of her life was played out in that summer she never sits now lonely on the hillside thinking how much she might do for one whom she really loved but with a large heart she loves many and with no romance she works hard to lighten the burdens of those she loves as for captain broughton all the world knows that he did marry that great heiress with whom his name was once before connected and that he is now a useful member of parliament working on committees three or four days a week with zeal that is indefatigable sometimes not often as he thinks of patience woolothy a smile comes across his face End of the parson's daughter of oxney colne by anthony trollope part two